Listener Production. I'm Action Alexa, former college American football player and wrestler turned half Ironman competitor. I've recovered from alcoholism and managed to die on the operating table four times. And now I'm a strength coach and motivational speaker. And I'm Jenna Louise, an ex-competitive gymnast and BMX racer, now a multidisciplined, high-performance athlete and coach. Over the course of our careers within the fitness industry, we've seen firsthand the impact that physical strength and mental toughness can have in changing the course of people's lives. In our podcast, How Fitness Saved My Life, we invite people to share the stories and practical skills of how they built their physical, mental and emotional fitness and how that saved them at the hardest time of their life. If I like crumble before a jump and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this, like, why? What did I get myself into? I'm like, no, this is exactly what you need. This is what's going to bring the superpower out of you and you're going to get this done. Today's guest is a Canberra native who became hooked on freestyle motocross at four years old. After shunning the advice of his elders to complete a trade, he instead put his labouring tools to good use by building his own ramp where he would eventually land his first ever backflip. At 17, he made his professional debut, quickly becoming a fan favourite with his gravity-defying high-octane stunts and daredevil antics. In 2017, he made history at the Nitro World Games where he nailed the first ever rock-solid landing from a front flip, an effort that earned him first-place honours in the FMX Best Trick category. He is renowned for his unparalleled work ethic, his dedication to his craft, and today he shares with us how his passion for the sport has kept him alive, both physically and mentally. He's a lovable larrikin and an absolute beast in the industry. Please welcome the wizard, Harry Bink. Yeah, Binky. <laughs> what yes. an intro. That is the best intro I think I've ever had, like easily. Yes. I've never had an intro that good. So much depth, so much stuff oh. you reminded me about myself that I forgot. Oh. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm pumped <laughs> to be on the on the show with you guys. It's such an honour to have you on the show. You're a huge vibe now. I can only imagine your energy as a kid. So can you take us back to the beginning? You went to your first FMX show at four. Why FMX? Yeah, so FMX, I think it was just more anything to do with dirt bikes. That's how it always kind of started for me. My, I was really lucky. My dad gave me and my brother really good opportunities. He um, got like a go-karts for us. He took us water skiing as well as motorbikes. So he gave us a really good option in um, action sports, what FMX we liked. He really Why pushed us to more towards like car racing and speedway and stuff like that. But my brother and I were hooked on um, dirt bikes and that's all we ever wanted to do. And then... Um, I grew up racing my whole life and it wasn't until I started my carpentry apprenticeship I realised how gnarly the work was and I'd always watched the Nitro Circus show, like all the DVDs and their TV show that they had on MTV and I'd watch every episode like 10 times over <laughs> and then uh, I always wanted to do it but I always lived in excuses like, oh, I can't do freestyle because I don't have a freestyle ramp or I don't have access to one. Um, all that kind of stuff. And then when I started a carpentry apprenticeship, I realised how much work we did in one week of work. I was like, I could have built my ramp in the three days that I just didn't work. What am I doing? Why, like, why haven't I started my dream? So I literally started, like, overnight and um, hustled at it and then kind of made it become reality within, like, one year. That's so good. I mean, like, yeah, and you say 
you lived in excuses. Yeah. The excuse was that you didn't have a ramp. So what do you do? You go and build your own ramp. Can you just talk us through that? Like, did you build it in the scrapyard, you and your mates? Yeah, so that's a funny story. So my dad was, yeah, obviously really good, gave us heaps of opportunities and took us away racing, which we're always, like, really keen and interested in. But racing is a really hard sport to become a professional in. It's very few that actually make it. And I knew that I I just didn't have what it took to be a pro racer. Like, I gave it my all. I tried absolutely everything. But I couldn't even win, like, I'd barely win a club round, let alone, like, a state title or Australian title. Like, I was always a kid that crashed every race, and I, I was the first one to do all the jumps on the track, but then I would just not very fast around the corners or I'd crash or try a bit too hard. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of how that all ended up within my racing. So when the freestyle thing came around, I had all my racer friends and I, to- I talked them all into it. <laughs> and I'm like, freestyle's where it's at. Like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna not have to work. We're going to, like, live our dream. We're going <laughs> to build all these gnarly jumps. It's going to be crazy. Like, we're going to do it. And I talked them all into it. And we got my mate's dad's trailer, a car trailer, and we went to a scrapyard. And I don't recommend stealing, <laughs> but this is what we did. We went to a scrapyard and we um, got a heap of old secondhand, like, metal and stuff from the yard as well as um, we bought the pieces that we could afford and things like that. And then um, we got enough metal together to build a freestyle ramp. And it was one of the dodgiest ramps, like, you've ever seen. Um, we built it in my mate's <laughs> oh. shed and they were renting the farm and we just kind of built it in the shed. Um, I got the the plans off Google and we just kind of went off that. And oh, I, my we'd God. All, it's we'd so random. Wel- <laughs> it's so random. And we'd never welded, be- never, like, I'd never welded what? any type of like metal before. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And then... <laughs> Um, once we built the ramp, all my friends looked at me and were like, I'm not jumping that, like, stop jumping that. And I'm like, are you kidding? We finally just finished this thing. Like, it's kind of, this This story kind of feels like Hot Rod right now. <laughs> this is like Jackass all over again. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Literally. But, so we finished this ramp and we put it to this pile of dirt. And the, when you build a freestyle ramp, like, you're meant to have the down ramp taller than the up ramp so you have like a big landing to land on so it's safe so there was this like dirt pile that was like smaller than the up ramp so you're jumping and falling from so high and there's like so much room for error because you can miss this tiny little dirt pile so easy so it was like a lot more dangerous than it needed to be and then when I jumped it the bars (laughs) on the ramp actually some of them broke and like snapped out because the welds weren't strong enough oh my god (laughs) so it was like a full it was like a full scene out of hot rod Wow. So then we fixed the the damage and then within a couple of sessions I had it had the ramp fully back at a gap that they jump at like in the show and at the time it was like Crossy Demons Nitro Circus. So yeah, I got I like got the ramp measurements and like was jumping their jump that they jump in the show. Um, I learned to do that when I was like 16, 17. Yeah, no, sorry, 17 because I had just got my car license. Far out. Yeah, I was 17 and then I just jumped it. Like, I, in between like classes, I would go and just zip out, go for a quick ride, and I'd be by myself as well. Like, you meant to ride wow. with someone, yeah. to someone to spot you in case you hurt yourself. Like, they can call the ambulance in case you're on the ground with a broken leg. But I just put my phone on the down <laughs> ramp and just leave it like on the side and just ride oh. by myself just to like get the time in. Jesus Christ, that, you're giving me anxiety. I just know. That's, that's actually epic. And 
How did you get noticed? What was your first official gig? Yeah, okay, so it's definitely in, like, most sports or any, like, kind of thing, you can be really good at what you do, but if you kind of don't get any, the right traction as far as um, knowing the right people, being around the right crowds, or even just enough to, like, keep learning off um, people with knowledge. Like, it's so important you're around the right people yeah. to um, just get traction and um, just just learn off people. It's like you can only learn so much on your own. Totally. It's I would imagine it'd be very technical as well. For sure, definitely. So I was really lucky. Um, so what you were saying with the as a four-year-old going to watch a freestyle show, I always used to go to the Canberra show every year and I was lucky enough. Um, so Showtime FMX, the guy that owned that, Gary Reed, he was a family friend of my dad's. So I always went to the shows and, like, just I was obsessed with them all and um, I'd met the writers a couple times. So they knew who I was, but... Yeah. I was just like another little kid. And I actually messaged Steve Minnie like over and over again, like, hey, man, can I come ride your compound? Um, I want to learn to backflip. But he's a – so he's a pro Crossy Demon rider from like the start of Crossy Demons. So imagine how many inboxes you get of like freestyle riders, hey, I want to learn to backflip, can I come to your house? So I always like kind of messaged him and I never got any traction there. But then I sent him a video of me riding one day. Mm. And then when I sent him the video of, um, like, me jumping my sketchy setup that I had and, like, doing my tricks, he replied to me straight away, like, that week. And he's like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Do you want to come to my place in Mudgee, which is about five hours from Canberra? And I, like... I had like 400 and something dollars saved at the time, I remember. And I'm like, yeah, I got enough fuel money. I'll get there. <laughs> like, yeah, we're on. Because I just bought my first car. So I'd like yeah. been saving. I, were, I had like a couple jobs like from 12, 11, 12. I was window washing when I was like 10. <laughs> wow. So like, yeah, just, um, yeah, got my first car. And then, yeah, so like um, drove there in my ute um, and then got there. And then he, he just kind of said, oh, you can ride the course, like go have a little oh. play around if you want. Because um, it was nearly dark when I got there. And then wow. tomorrow we'll come back and we can you can try your flips in the foam pit. So I had a quick ride around and he had like all these really big jumps there. And like when freestyle riders go to other people's compounds, they're like usually watch another rider jump them or they do speed runs. Like in freestyle, you're like unsure how fast hit the jump because they're real big and they look daunting. So you just like get on behind someone and just like copy their speed off right. the jump. So there's like all these certain things that I had no idea about. I didn't know what any of this stuff meant. So I was just like, oh, I like can't not jump these jumps. And he thought I was just going to ride around and play around on like a smaller jump. So I just went to the biggest jump straight up first and hit the biggest <laughs> one there straight away and worked my way down backwards. Oh, wow. And yep, yeah. Yeah. And it worked perfectly for me. Um, so that was kind of like good first impressions with him. Wow. And then the next day we started doing backflips and I landed on my head. <laughs> so many times, like eight, about eight times, just couldn't get it, couldn't figure it out. And when you land on your head in a foam pit, you got like a 110 kilo dirt bike oh. landing you, squishing you into a foam pit, you're trapped. Like foam pits are like death traps. Like you're jammed in there, it's like black, you're just stuck Ooh. there. Plus your bike's just like buried you in there really deep. Then you got the engine, it's really hot. So then the engine's on the foam creating toxic fumes in there. And then you got the fuel from the petrol tank dripping on you. So you're getting toxic what? fumes with the petrol dripping on you and you're trapped in there and you can't move. And then you're like, I can't breathe. 
Petra dripping on me. Sick. <laughs> These are all the things that people don't tell you about. Foam pits. Yeah. What? So, I no. never thought about that. Because foam pits have really high hazards of catching on fire. There's been For so sure. many deaths. So before they, before you jump in there, we'll get a hose and hose down the foam and just like fire hazards, things like that. Hey, and it gets better. Wow. There's snakes at the bottom of the foam pits. What? No. That's where, that's where snakes like, like just to live. in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Well. Sure. Like, so um, where our freestyle compound is up here on the Gold Coast at 50-60, like we're always pulling pythons out of the foam pit. Like we'll just when we take the roof off the foam pit, we'll just like have a look around. Can we see any snakes? But we also have a big generator that we like that operates the crane to get the the bikes in and out of the foam pit. So when you start the generator, it vibrates everything. So the snakes usually go to the bottom and stay at the bottom. Oh my god. When you first get there, you kind of just got to have a quick look around and see if you can spot any. Oh, my gosh. wild. Yeah. <laughs> foam pits are gnarly. Like, everyone's like, oh, you got, to, you got to go to a foam pit to learn a backflip. Like, oh, sick. But, um, yeah, it was gnarly. Like, so to, for that to happen to me eight times, like, it's it's really exhausting just to happen that, that to happen once. But I was just really dedicated and I didn't want to give up. And then um, I figured it out and got around to my wheels. And then I did another one. I got two to round to my wheels and he's like, oh, what do you want to do? And it started to rain as he said this. He's like, oh, and I couldn't bring myself to driving home without actually figuring out how to do it. So I was like, oh, can you get me out of the phone pit really quick? I just want to do one more. I just want to get it right. And then um, he did, and, and then I did another one whilst it was raining, got me out of the phone pit after that one, and then I just rode around to dirt and did one to dirt in the rain. Oh, epic. Yeah, it was sick. And then so that, like, yeah, that worked, and then, then, then at that point, I had enough tricks to do a show. Like I was show, a show worthy rider kind of thing. Wow, that's every. I mean, like we make jokes about like running off to join the circus when you're a kid, but like you legit did exactly that. Like you ran off to join the Nitro Circus. So can you talk us through like how that came about? Because that's such a huge, that's massive, and what hoops you had to kind of like jump through to get notice. So Steve Minnie, he went from Crossy into Nitro and then he became the athlete manager for Nitro Circus. Oh. So he's he picks the athletes, he picks the riders, he he writes this, the whiteboards in the show, what who what like tricks get wow. done. So I was really lucky that I was a 17-year-old kid that kind of came there with a good because it's all mindset. Like you can only be so talented and then with freestyle, and then it's just all mindset, how many hits you can take and get like spooked and then just reset and click your mind into gear again. So that was really good to make a good first impression like that with Steve. And then then that night we went to the pub and we got really <laughs> drunk. So it was like 17-year-old just like, yeah, it was kind of like pretty pumped on as far as first impressions go. I feel like that was the first stage for me to really networking, like just just setting like concreting kind of thing. Um, but then still, I still had a lot to learn. I was still so far from the Nitro Circus at that point. I was barely like show worthy just to write a normal show. Um, so I had to keep perfecting what I had um, and I did that for another six months. But straight after I learned that backflip, I actually shattered my heel and Ooh. broke my right tip and fib in um, one crash. I was actually just rushing out after a day of carpentry work one day and I was just trying to beat the sun so I could get a ride and I forgot to put petrol in my bike and it ran out of petrol on that oh, ramp. Oh, no I fu- way. I didn't fully make the jump and then I had to throw the bike away. 
landed on my feet, and then that was actually how I did that. How I sh- and I'd never had a broken bone, like a proper broken bone at that point, and it was a shattered heel and a broken tin fib. So that was oh, like, my god. I mean, that brings us a question I was going to ask way later on, but since you yeah. brought up injuries, you strike me as someone who can't freaking sit still. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you deal? With being injured, like, and how do you deal with it now? Like, in terms of the fact that you have to train around it, or you are going to be limited in some way. Like, what do you do? Uh, I go to Bikram Yoga. <laughs> Bikram, <laughs> do save me! Bikram, <laughs> save me! Oh, I, mean, I can't minimum, love this enough. Minimum one a week, and if I don't, like, so you know, people are like oh, I need to go get a massage, or oh, I need to go to physio. You don't need that. Go to Bikram Yoga. <laughs> like, oh it's just that simple. And I learnt this when I broke my femur and I had a shoulder reconstruction. Oh. And then, like, two months after that, I had another surgery getting all the metal out of my heel because I was injured. So I, I have to use my time wisely because mm. usually I'm very high-paced, like, usually high before COVID hit. Um, I was having, like, under 100 days at home, like, a year, averaging kind of thing because we were just touring so much. So um, when you ha- when you are injured, you usually have another surgery, like whatever the surgery yeah. that it might need to be. But you can't you can't do Bikram when you're injured, can you? Like nah, I mean, if you bite, well, yeah. No. So when I had that though, like shoulder echo wrecks your upper body because it's all on link now, and then yeah. femur it affects your hip. Um, it affected my knees. I had knee. I tore ligaments in my knee and. Um, and because my ankles from when I did my heel, it always, like, tilts over, like it rolls. So that whole side of me is just doesn't work well at all. It's all on the same leg. So that affects wow. my lower back heaps. So going to Bikram, it just sinks everything. Like, it literally just links everything. And it gets all the kinks out of your hips and, like, you, you have good, de- like, depth range and... Okay, so it's more like an aftercare stitch then. It's it, when you need when you think you need a massage, if you go to Bikram once a week, you won't, it takes all the tension out of your body and it lubricates all your joints. I have a lot of arthritis already, so it, like, kind of just keeps all my joints lubricated. Plus, we tend to not skip after parties so it gives you a good flush out after after the weekends of like doing whatever you get up to on the weekends I feel like you're going to be an ambassador for Bikram Yoga after this podcast. Totally. <laughs> well, it's just facts. I don't, I pay for my classes. I do it. No it more. Just, it just works for me. Oh like, my. it's just, I just could switch off my brain so much more and not have to like, do my shoulder band exercises. Remember to do this. Remember to yeah. do that. Just like, just show up to a one hour Bikram and just sweat it out. And, and sweat it out. Oh, so good. Look, I want to ask you what your favourite trick to perform is. Is there one that you are known for? Mm, Yeah, I go through, like, cycles where I'm known for a trick. Like, right now I'm probably known for, like, my double backflip combo trick and then I'm known for a backflip rock solid as well where it's, like, you do a backflip and then, like, grab the seat and then, like, let go of the bike upside down and then grab back on and then, like, get back on and finish the flip and that was the trick that got me on Nitro Circus right. when I was like 21 I learnt that trick and then I got on Nitro full time from that trick epic epic wow. so you'd be pretty well known for that have you done that in a mankini yet? I, I know I haven't done a rock solid <laughs> flip in a mankini no um, I've done a couple of tricks 
No, I've done like a, some tricks naked, but I haven't never done that yeah. one naked before. Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! Can you can you like talk us through like the process of getting a trick like that? Because you did you do that trick? Was that the one you did on live TV? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I was doing that in a backflip, and then I decided at Nitro World Games came around, and then there was the guy that learnt it first. He was uh, like the only guy in the world that could do it. Then I was the second. Three years later, we were still the only two guys that could do it. And then I decided I was going to learn it in a front flip, which was like kind of video game idea stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, put, I just like trained, I just went really hard at it and um, just put myself through hell to learn it. I took a lot of hits. Like I'm talking a, like a lot, like just hits after hits after hits. And then, but I knew I had the structure in my head and I knew what it kind of took to learn it. Did you ever um, think it was impossible and, though? Nah, I don't think I don't think that anything's impossible. Like impossible is a big word. Like that. it just has a lot of depth. Nothing's impossible. It's just you haven't figured it out yet. Imagine if you were like twenty years. Oh, sorry, two hundred. I don't know how many years ago, and you're like, we're gonna build a big ton of pit, like metal that, and it's gonna take hundreds of people, and you're gonna go in the sky. Like that's impossible. Yeah, like that's true. Be, so like when you look at analogies like that from how far it's come, it's like nothing. How far it's going to go, nothing, nothing will ever be impossible. Yeah, true. Freestyle motocross combines, like, you've got speed, you've got dirt bikes, you've got acrobatics. Like, it is crazy freaking dangerous. And you've got the foam pits with the snakes. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> do you get scared or, like, can you harness fear and use it to your advantage? Yeah, I always get scared. It's like, I, but I always try to flip my thoughts as well. So, like, when I'm really scared, I'm like, this is your free superpower to be focused. Or, like, I just try and, like, trick myself as much as possible. If, if I, like, crumble before a jump and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this, like, why, what did I get myself into? I'm like, no, this is exactly what you need. This is what's going to make you bring the superpower out of you and you're going to get this done. I have some weird conversations with myself. <laughs> yeah, I just try. I just am good at talking myself into things and probably other people as well. I mean, that's a testament to your success Yeah, as well. Like, I mean, you wouldn't be able to do what you do without having to face that fear and just conquer it anyway. Yeah. So what you say to yourself and that inner dialogue that runs in your head is, like, uber important at that time. Yeah, and, like, fear is like a never... It's like a never-ending relationship that you'll ever understand. It's like that in anything in life, though. Like, mm. you're never going to have anything figured out and just when you do, you're going to realise that you don't have it figured out. But I feel like that's definitely with fear. Like, you're forever learning, you're forever guessing. Or you get comfortable with some stuff and then some stuff comes easier but then other stuff comes harder. And yeah. you are forever guessing. And I think when you think you know it, you don't. that's when you get hurt. Well, that's, that's, that's what I mean. It's like where's that line? Where's that fine line of is this pushing it a little bit too far and am I really taking a massive risk here or am I just going to shut my voices up and just do it anyway? Yeah, it's... It's definitely a mixture of both, but when you're in an event, you just do it like you can't. Yeah. You do it like you have a gun to your head when you're in an event because it's like you only get on these stages like so often, and you like well, it's your name. It's like your whole brand online. Like if you crumble, like it can kind of ruin your whole brand. Or you just do everything you can, but you also do everything you can leading up to the event to make sure you've done everything 
safely. Yeah. It does get really challenging when you're on a Nitro Circus tour for three months mm. and then you fly straight from the tour to an X Games event and then you have to ride at your top peak, which most riders wouldn't do that. But I I, I just say you're yes You're not to, most riders. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just love being on Nitro tour. It's so fun. So I'll go, I'll stay on tour all the time and then kind of go to an event. So that's there, the scary times when you have to do something that you haven't done in months because it's like going to the gym, like trying to lift a real heavy weight that you haven't lifted in ages. You're like, yeah. like i got to try and do as much dynamic stuff to build my strength and somehow mm-hmm. lift this weight. I don't know. That's kind of a weird analogy, but it's kind no, of I somewhat get it. the same. And do, you, do you feel like a massive amount of pressure from – because you're basically a star – you know, you're very well known. Do you feel massive amounts of pressure from, you know, the audience and your fans to be able to perform at your peak all the time? And how does that sit with you? No, definitely not. Um, Epic. Pressure. I, I just go at my own pace. I've had, I've let pressure get to me before, but I, the biggest thing I've learned is if you get pressure or scared, What's the point? It's not going to make you perform any better. It's just a bu- yeah. brain bubble. So yeah. why, what's the point in having it? But that's where I keep my flow state. So if I sit around and do nothing all the time, I hear my brain think and then I overthink things. But if I keep moving and have a mad time and have fun and keep my flow state going, I, don't, I know that voice doesn't even have time to come across or, yeah, approach the room. I love, love that. Like, let's, and let's talk training because I've heard you say that you do not have to be fit to be a motocross rider. Come on now, son. Like, you're like in this 110, 120 kg beast around and you're telling me you don't have to be fit. Like, give me an idea of what it takes yeah. to, like, train the way you do. 100%. So freestyle, like, you used to didn't have to be fit or strong or anything like that. And the reason I say this because I, when we go on Nitro tour, I'm messaging every single person on Nitro, hey, go on a train, hey, I found this gym in this town, hey, go on to this fitness class, are we going, are we going? And it's very few times, like, I get all the guys there. There'd only be a handful of guys that would come out of 30 people on the tour. Wow. And they'd all be at the bar drinking. Or they'd <laughs> yeah. be like, so that's where I always was like, you don't have to be fit to ride. Because... 80% of the freestyle riders on tour did not train, like, yeah. one bit. And they've broken all their legs. They've done all this stuff. Like, they don't have very functional bodies, but they just would ride and send it and just kind of get it done still. Um, but now the way the – so now it's really good as far as our sport goes because there's airbag landers now. So everything's getting a lot safer. You can afford to crash and not break a bone. Where before, if you crashed on, like, the way we've been crashing onto these airbag landers, you're pretty much guaranteed a broken bone. So the safety is coming up higher now, but the ramps are getting way bigger. We can just send it way gnarlier, and it's boosting the sport for freestyle way more. So now with these airbag landers, you can afford to take a hit. So if you're strong, like really strong. And so I've just because of like these airbag landers, I've just changed my training from like F45 style training, like circuit stuff to weights. So I can yeah. just take hits now because yeah. I do my Bikram. So I know I still got like my mobility and I'll still get like two cardios in a week between like a light cycle or a jog. And then I'll just try to like do some weights just to try build some size and just deadlifts and stuff. Just so like I can compress the crap out of my back on a down ramp or whatever and just have a strong back. 
and take hits. Like I just had a crash on um on the Nitro Circus tour that just went and um it was the second show in and I over-rotated a double backflip and, like, got jerked really bad, really Ooh. bad whiplash and then got spat out to the flat and missed the airbag lander. Because I'd been, like, training and doing weights, I just, like, my body took it and I got really bad whiplash and, like, my body took it so well just because I'd built a bit of strength about me. Yeah. And how often do you get on the bike a, a week? Uh, some weeks I'll ride, like, four four times, five times. Yeah, right. And then, uh, and, then some, and then I'll go, like, a week or two without riding. Yeah, just right. depends. So when I'm like trying to learn something, I'll go heaps, get all my muscle memory, do it, do it, do it, and then I got it. And then I might have a week break before a big event, and then might just have like a touch up ride just before it, and then come in swinging. Crazy. But it really varies, and everyone's different. No, yeah. like I'm more of like a visual rider. Like I'll do it onto an airbag. Like if I get the trick good, like twice, I'll just stop. Like, if I yeah. keep trying to do it, I'll go backwards. Yeah. I'm like, yep, I got it. I found the points. And then right before I do it, I'll, like, take a fair few deep breaths. I'll have probably a bit of caffeine. So I'm feeling <laughs> believing in myself as much as possible. Because yeah. you want, like, as much... Um, Confidence. Yeah. Yeah, you just sometimes got to dig deep and really visualise it. But also at the show, I jump around like a pelican the whole show. Like people, <laughs> all the riders just sit there and wait to, for their next tricks. And I'm like sitting there like doing like squats and lunges and like really trying to warm up my legs and the hip flexes, like doing all my finger stretches, trying to get my hands warm because I'm like, oh, like I just want to have yeah. my hands strong as possible. So if like I pull really hard, like my hand doesn't blow off on the up ramp or like whatever, it might be or when we land like there's a lot of forces yeah. like going through it so if like everything's not warm and activated like you get a dead pull on the up ramp or like something silly like and it happens to me all the time and now um like with training and stuff like you gotta just have a warm body for what we're doing well you've just touched on visualization and of course bikram yoga as well but would you say that they're your accessories to to fitness and are they any other methods that you use to help you perform at your peak? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to keep selling Bikram to you guys. So <laughs> so Bikram, you're in a strained position, you're stretching and yeah, yeah. you're in a, like, it's in some gnarly stretches and it's as hard as you make it. I've done Bikram. Same. It's hard. If you're doing it correctly, you are doing controlled breathing through your nose the whole session mm, yeah. and you're doing long, deep, slow breaths. Now, when you get in these jammed up, cranked out hurting positions all you want to do is pant and just go <laughs> it's about when if you learn to breathe calm and think calm in these like jam situations so it's the breath work that's key for you yeah for sure but now when you're riding and like whatever it is or you're getting flustered or whatever hot like you get to a show or like some places so at x games we had to ride there it was like 40 something degrees and it was the middle of the day when they made us do our runs and it was, like, hot as hell. And we were, it was a punish, but anyways. But, like, being in that position, like, and if you do it on a regular basis, it does come normal. So yeah. um, I think being and putting yourself in that situation, um, I also love doing ice baths. The body feels good after it, but the controlling your mind of just telling your body, like, mind to shut up and sit there and just breathe it out. <laughs> like, that's a lot of discipline and bringing yourself back to, like, centre and not being so delusional of, like, when something gets hard, wanting to quit or give up kind of thing. You're just more familiar of being 
comfortable when you're uncomfortable. Oh, baby, discomfort equals growth. <laughs> <laughs> We're back at your tagline again. Yeah. I mean, I've heard you say that whenever you're unsure of something, you talk to your inner child. Oh, yeah, so whenever I get un- unmotivated, whenever okay. I'm unmotivated, where are you finding this stuff? <laughs> I have, like, a great a story. <laughs> like, I'm a stalker. Oh, I love it. That's so good. Yeah, well, it's just so easy when you, like, go through your adulthood or even all the your friends and peers that you're around, you forget what what you wanted or, like, what what your focuses are or, like, or, like, you know, just going in high school, all your friends are motivated and everyone wants to be superstars when they grow up or whatever they want to be. And then they get hit mid-20s and they're just, like, so plateau. Oh, I don't want to do anything anymore. I'm happy raising my kid. Oh, why would you go to the gym on a Saturday? <laughs> why would you do yeah. that? It's just, like, and it's just all, and it snowballs. And I just always, whenever I get a bit confused or any time I do anything, I talk to what I would have promised myself as a kid. What was I, what were my dreams? Especially once you kind of get financially stable and everything, you don't have to take risk anymore. Why would I take risk and not like have to risk breaking another bone when I can just keep doing the same tricks, get paid and just like kind of plateau and just be comfy and keep playing Monopoly, like, with totally. yeah, yeah, it's like, but I'm like, no, stop that. Like, talk to you. What would have you done if you were talking to your 14-year-old self? Would you risk learning a way bigger gnarly trick? Yes, you could get hurt and miss out on that next financial thing you were going for or whatever it might be, or take risk and then be a mad dog and go mad. Like, so I always talk to my childhood self and don't let – um. Don't let money sign or any figures or anything, like, get in the way of my why. Wow, I've loved that. Yeah. I mean, man, what a great answer. Yeah. And speaking of going mad, like, you, I mean, you're known for working extremely hard, but you're also known for playing extremely hard. <laughs> so do you feel like you're balanced like this and, you know... This podcast, obviously, it's such a literal translation for you, like, how fitness saved my life. For you, I feel like your job... You have to be focused at every second of your job. You have to be focused on in your training for your job because any time you take your eyes off the prize, that could be your last trick. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so how do you do that with a hangover? <laughs> oh, uh, I love doing stuff hangover. It's so oh, good. Oh, wow. Right, okay. I hate doing stuff repetitively. Like, mm. so... When, with freestyle, you kind of jump the same jumps over again. You do the, you got to do the same tricks a lot of times to perfect them and be good at them. So there's no better way to do it. Or like when you do it with a hangover, you penalty yourself. So if you do it with penalty, then you know you can do something bigger when you're back on the surface again. Oh, so, wow. So I'll learn, I'll learn all my stuff. And Kids then don't try I'll, this at home. I'll learn all my stuff and then I'll go out and party and celebrate that I learned all this stuff that day and then I'll learn, and then I'll go and make myself go do that the next day. So I've just had so much fun with all my friends. I've had a mad time. I've gotten to go to the beach party and went mad, like got heaps of sick vibes and networking, doing whatever the hell you do in your downtime. And then the next day it's like, oh, okay, now if I learn to do – it's just one-upping yourself. Every, It's just another way of one-upping yourself. Wow. It's 
That's pretty fun. <laughs> that sounds like the ultimate punish, but also the ultimate <laughs> balance as well. I think you've got it all. You've got it worked out, Harry. Oh my gosh! I need to start taking one from your. Book. But it's so good for your brain. It's so good for your Being brain. Being hungover. So yes. Oh my god. Yeah. It's not, it's, I can't. This is like it. escalated. So. If I don't party, I take everything way too seriously. I'm not yeah, funny. Man. I get like it's you know you see someone in their sports and they're very straight edge and they take things very seriously. Yes, they're guaranteed to land to get everything perfect yeah. every time, or they can be like a robot. But I tap into like a way I don't. I tap into a human that I don't even know exists by partying. And when I also party. I, you know, when you're really drunk and you think that, oh, I can do this or you get yeah. these really good ideas. I've come up with these crazy good ideas and I, I make promises to myself. Like I might have trouble committing to something when you're fully sober, but if you're mad, yeah. like, having a mad time with your mates and you're coming up with all these ideas, you're like, oh, this is like coming up with new trick ideas. Like, so my good mate, Ryan Williams is like the best scooter and BMX rider in the world. We were at an after party and we were trying to come up with new tricks for Nitro World Games. And he's like, you should try it. You know, you do the rock solo backflip. You should try it in the front flip. And I was so drunk and I was like, oh, my God, that is the sickest idea ever. <laughs> yes. And we actually shook hands. And I was like, yes, I'm going to learn that trick. And then we make bets. And then we hold each other these bets. And it's like, if you don't do that bet, like, yes, you could be like, oh, no, I'm not going to do it and pull out. But then it's just like, you just don't want to go down like that. It's like your creative zone. It is. It is my yeah. creative side. Hyper and, creative. And every, everyone's different though. You have to figure mm. out what works for you. I'm not right. saying that it's going to work. Like it could for someone, they could just pick up a heap of bad habits and become a loser and not check their emails and do all the other rest of the stuff. <laughs> it's funny that you, you say that because my creative zone is when I'm like in my daily dose of discomfort. That's when I get the most creative version of myself. That's where all my ideas come to me when I'm in the hurt and Do when you? I'm sweating it out. Major creative zone. My me. creative zone is in the shower. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm so oh, bizarre. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm weird, hey. Yeah. I have all these creative, like, <laughs> that's where I get all my creative. I get out and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this and this and this and I'm productive as yeah, right. productive AF. So, How yeah. long are your showers, man? Wow. Uh, Clearly <laughs> too long. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you've achieved so much in your career so far. What has been your favourite moment and what is your next goal? Uh, my favourite moment would be meeting Travis Estrada and hanging out with him. Because he was a guy that I never thought that I'd ever meet. Um, I watched him on TV. I watched him on all the Nitro Circus DVDs. I watched, like, hundreds and hundreds of hours of him just, like, just at home, like, my whole, t- like, teenage kind of times. Just, yeah, never thought I'd meet him. And then I met him in a show and I was like, whoa. <laughs> so then I, I was after that. That was when I was went at home and hustled really hard. It inspired me even more meeting him in a show. And then within a couple of years, I was on the Nitro Circus riding with him and then he invited me. They were filming for a new Nitro Circus DVD and I went and lived at his house for like a couple of months, oh, a right. couple of weeks. I was like there for like three weeks, went back on tour and then we went back there for another couple of weeks. Um, and it was sick, and but I can, became really good mates with him. And now, like when he comes like to Australia, he comes to like my fitness classes and stuff with me. That's like, epic. He's like, hey, Harry, where are we training tomorrow? And like, yeah, we'd be great. Like it's kind of cool. We still text each other and like send each other funny videos and stuff pretty regularly. Um, 
But, yeah, it's kind of cool um, the way he accepted us into the sport. But hanging out at his house and just being with him and, like, becoming a friend with him that I just never person that I never thought that I'd meet or... Like, when I was a kid, if you asked me if you could just hang out with anyone in the world for a day, like any person, I just said Travis Pastrana without even, like, second-guessing yeah. anything. Like, And what's your next goal? Or do you have too many? Nah, people <laughs> say I don't set goals. I just yeah, keep living my best. As a kid, I had goals, but then I blew them out of the park and then people ask me what my next goals are and I'm like, I don't set any goals because then I have an end destination and I don't like mm-hmm. the idea of an end destination. So I just love one-upping myself every day. I want to go do a triple flip on the moto, a few things like that. So i like got some things that I want to do, but I don't like, because what you were talking about, pressure, if I say the goal and start telling people, then I haunt myself that I have to do it and I have it in yeah. the back of my head. Where if I just one-up myself every day, I'm not going to get in a situation where the ramp's set up, I've got all the stuff, and I said I wanted to do it, and they're like, well, that's your goal. Or like, I just like kind of just, just one-up on myself and and staying in my groove. and just. But I end up like going way past my goals anyway. So, yeah, I just oh. kind of just make sure I live the most, like just go as hard as I can on a day-to-day basis and the rest will just come. Oh, you're All such right. a rad human. Honestly, man, <laughs> like I've I've talked to a bunch of people about mindset and you have got to have one of the most phenomenal mindsets that I have ever yeah. come across. Like seriously. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you. Which brings me to the last thing. Like I love that you said that, you know, you've achieved so much in your career, but your favourite moment was meeting your childhood hero because, like, you are literally living proof of the whole, like, dream, believe, achieve thing. Like, you you had this idol in your head. You set out to meet him. Well, you didn't even set out to meet him. You ended up meeting him through your own actions and your own self-belief. And here you are, like, living the dream. What advice would you give people out there who are striving towards pursuing their dreams of, like, this high-performance goal? It's such a depth answering question, but I just think with um, whatever you want to do, like don't narrow yourself to like, oh, I want to be a pro soccer player. I have to be the best at kicking the ball. Like meet all the – go when you're the soccer player, meet all the workers there, meet all the referee, like network. Go like, okay, I'm going to be a pro soccer player. Meet like the – the dads, old mate's dad, or talk to the people that have history in the sport, like learn and then and be patient, like just more just respect everyone and talk mm. and like don't cap yourself to this one thing and just be super patient and like yeah, which is like gnarly for me saying that because I was so impatient <laughs> and I still I am, <laughs> I still am, but you people give up through them cracking it through their patience. Yeah. Well, I'm not patient, but I won't give up. Yeah. But there's something to be said for, like, playing the long game and never having to step on anybody else's toes in order to do that. You know, like, you're maintaining your integrity through the entirety of your journey, and totally. that's something incredibly special. So, man, kudos to you. Like, respect. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're an absolute <laughs> weapon. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Harry. You're a legend. Thank you. Yeah, man, what an inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. How Fitness Saved My Life is hosted by me, Action Alexa. And me, Jenna Louise. Producer, Tina Madelov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. And executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.